Welcome to the Old Cow Podcast, where we dig deep into life after 40 and ask ourselves, how can we stop others from thinking of us as old if that's how we see ourselves? From real talk about healthy aging, the latest fashion and beauty trends for women and men, beginning a new career later in life, to ageism, love, sex, and starting over, nothing is off the table in this refreshingly honest, fun podcast. Here's your host, Jill Loris. How are you? Very well, Jill. How are you? I'm great. And I'm excited about today's podcast. We have Renee Steelman on today. And she's really interesting because she is not only doing her second act, she's doing her third act of her life with joy and silver locks, to quote her. She's been married for 45 years. That in itself is amazing. I would think everyone would want to know her secret. She has six kids, 14 grandchildren. She's a retired interior designer, and now she's a model and influencer and blogger online. Come I mean, on, I'm tired I just even saying all that. <laughs> where can I see what she looks like? You can find her actually on Instagram, and we'll put that in the group, the Old Cow Podcast group on Facebook and Instagram as well for people to find her. But she's on Instagram, she's on Twitter, and um, we can ask her when she joins us. If she's on Facebook, I imagine she is. But she goes by the name Go Grade Dame. And as I said, we'll put the link in the group. But um, I'm very anxious to ask her because she also looks fabulous. And unfortunately, people can't see her on the podcast. But how does she do it all and do it well? And not even just well, amazingly well. So I would love to hear all of it, starting with how has she been married for 45 years? I mean, all we hear is divorce, divorce, divorce. So I'm really excited for her to give us the inside scoop on how she's had a successful marriage for so many years, a happy, successful marriage. So without um, further ado, let's introduce Renee. Welcome, Renee. Hi, Renee. Lovely to talk to you from Oxfordshire in the UK. And you're in Arizona. Have I'm in Arizona. Yeah, yeah. I wish I was actually there with you. If, uh, if, if it was up to my husband and I, we would be spending at least 90 days over there across the pond somewhere. I love that country. Great. Yeah, we're just getting into spring. It's fresh and trying to be warm. It'll never be hot like Arizona, but it's no. it's on the way. Yeah, we've got yeah. some we've got some blossom. No, there you go. Well, let's get to know you a little bit. Um okay. I know you from Instagram, but I don't know very much about you. Okay. So, um and to be perfectly honest, I feel like I picked you up on Instagram. So, I mean, you're kind of hot, so I'm really like proud of myself <laughs> that I got such a catch. <laughs> But um, I reached out to you and you so kindly offered to come on without knowing me at all or knowing Ava. So I, I have to say that was very nice of you. But I'm really curious because when I look at your pictures, I, I'm so envious. Your life seems fabulous from motorcycles to tennis to being married for 45 years. You're definitely doing it right. So I'd love to hear more about that. And if I could start by just asking how old you are. I am 68. That's uh, unbelievable. I have yeah. to, wait, I'm sorry, I already have to interrupt you. Just for the audience, I will put pictures of Renee in the Facebook group. We have an old cow podcast Facebook group. And we also have the same group on Instagram because you will not believe when you see her. She <laughs> is stunning and sexy and exactly what you want to be when you're her age. Okay, sorry. Oh. I have to get that little plug. But um, 
So please tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, you're so amazing. Well, um, I grew up in Illinois, just south of Chicago. And um, my um, mother was divorced and remarried to Ava, you'll love this, um, a wonderful gentleman from Malvern, England. And um, so I lived, uh, let's see, I was seven when they got married. So my stepdad was just the light of my life. And he truly was my father to me, even though I still had contact with my biological father. But um, I have two brothers. I have an older brother, three years older, who is a stand-up comic, and he is hilarious. And I have a younger brother from my mom's second marriage, uh, eight years younger, and he is actually a, um, he was a keynote speaker and presenter for Franklin Covey, uh, which was probably one of the first people to come out with an organizer uh, when everybody started writing things down and thinking that they should actually calendar or something. Um, so all three of us, uh, I don't know whether it was nature or nurture, but all three of us are very comfortable being in front of a crowd. So, <laughs> uh, and I blame my grandmother for that. So, you know, That's when, a you, good pay, skill. when yeah. you pay your granddaughter, you know, 25 cents, you should get up on stage at the family reunions and do the twist. I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> it's such an asset. It's such an asset. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I grew up in Illinois, a wonderful childhood, uh, lots of cousins. My mom came from a family of five sisters and three brothers. And um, wow. yeah, she was the seventh, um, born in 1936. And so just lots of aunts and uncles and cousins. And uh, then my stepfather was actually transferred to Washington State my senior year in high school. Um, so I left a rather uh, pretty good size, about 1,500 kids in the high school to a small country school in um, just right across the Columbia River from Portland, Oregon. And uh, it was, I wasn't a very happy camper. I was kind of like, get me out of here as soon as possible. And um, so after graduation from high school, I um, actually joined the Navy and uh, went into the Navy to see the world. Oh my goodness. I, I thought I wanted to be a, a flight attendant or a stewardess as they were known back then. Um, yeah. But I uh, had signed up and, and been accepted to the um, St. George Dixie College, which had a flight attendant program there. And so I very joyfully said to my mom and my stepdad and my biological dad, it's like, hey, I got accepted to, to Dixie College, are we going to split this three ways, or how are we going to do this? <laughs> All three of them said, "Oh yeah, we're not paying for that." I'm like, "You're not," you know. And because they were born in a different era where people just worked hard, um, they didn't. None of them had gone to college, and they, that wasn't a common thing. And they they were were really just kind of like, "No, we're not paying for that," but have fun. And I was like, oh, I, I got to get out of here. So that's why. And my head, I had two aunts that had served in the Navy during World War II. Um, so it was in my milieu, you know, the talk when you're gathering with family, they had all served in the, in one of the services in the United States during World War II. And so I thought, oh, I think I'll just go into the Navy like Aunt Marilyn and Aunt Nadine. Um, and it was a fabulous, just amazing experience. But um, I think it definitely set me on a path of, if you're going to do it, you better learn how to do it by yourself because nobody's going to help you. <laughs> right. That's pretty impressive. So, so, what, so what was your role? It, 
in the Navy? I had, I was so blessed with a recruiter who was honest and I um, took all of the tests and told him that I wanted to sign up for photography. And so he got me all pre-approved and it was in my contract that as soon as I was through with basic training that I would go to photography school. And um, so I got through with basic training and when you get through, they have what they call classification. And so you go into a room and they say to you, okay, now that you're done with basic training, what would you like to do? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm gonna be going to photography school. And they said, no, we're sorry, but you have to sign up. You have to enlist for four years if you want a guaranteed school. Um, and you're only enlisted for three, but let me go check your contract. So they went back and checked the contract and they came back and they said, girl, you are so lucky that it is in black and white because we have to honor it. And so I went off to photography school and then my first duty station was Yokosuka, Japan. So it was pretty amazing. Wow. What year was this? This was in 73, in 1973. But you know what's funny? Um, when I got to Japan and, and showed up at the photo lab, there weren't a lot of women on the Navy base in, in Yokosuka at that time. And I was the only woman in the photo lab. So I'm there with a bunch of uh, sailors. And so of course they, they just sat me right down at the front desk and said, you just stay there. Don't, oh, don't. The phones. <laughs> yeah. make the coffee look pretty. In the safe zone. <laughs> yeah. Don't touch a camera, please. You know. So I actually lost a lot of the training that I had because, you know, one of those use it or lose it type things. So unfortunately, but it worked, it was fine. It worked out well. Fantastic. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm shocked. I didn't expect you to say that because I saw well, you um, did interior design. So I didn't expect you to say anything about the Navy. So this is pre-interior design. Oh yes, yeah. In fact, I had actually met my husband at a dance uh, that summer. Uh, I graduated in June and we met in July and then um, I left in January and I had already signed up contract signed. So it was like, mm, I really like you, but sorry, <laughs> I have an obligation. And, um, and he actually had an obligation as well. He had, he had agreed to serve a mission for the uh, Mormon church. And so he was obligated to go leave in October and I was obligated to leave in January. So we dated for the summer and then it was like, bye, see you in two years. And we wrote back and forth while we were there. And, and, uh, and then he, at one point he was getting ready to come home. I still had a year left on my contract. And I said, well, you know, here's the deal. I can take a 30 day leave and I can come home and we can pick up where we left off two years ago, or we could get married and then you could come <laughs> back to Japan. And that's the romantic proposal that, oh, <laughs> that you made. That I made. And he was like, okay. <laughs> he didn't like, ask for a ring? No. He was just like, that sounds great. You know, and then he just went on finishing up his mission and, and, uh, and I started making wedding plans. And so I, when he got home, from his mission. Now, now think of this. He's been on a two-year service for a religion. So his whole day is prayer, uh, scriptures, you know, the whole bit. My day is, let's see, should we go to Park City on our honeymoon or where should we go? You know? <laughs> and he, so he got off his, his mission and I met him at the airport and we kind of picked up where we left off. And I was kind of like, huh, 
you're not that fun guy I dated a few months ago, but the invitations <laughs> are out. So what do we do about this? You know, it's like, oh, it's a little too late to back off, but dude, snap out of it, you know? <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Did, you know about- each other, did you know each other's families before you married? We did. We knew each other's families and, you know, I had been to his house. He had been to my house. The, the uh, parents had met each other and, and all of that. But, um, you know, I wouldn't say we really, I mean, we dated from July to October. So that isn't a huge time frame. but in the Mormon world, that was probably like a long engagement. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, that's it. Are you also a Mormon? I was at the time. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that, I guess that makes sense. So I I have to ask you, um, so many people are divorcing now. Uh What is the secret? You must know the secret to staying happily married after so many years. You know what? We actually have been married for uh, 47 and a half years. So I, and my husband and I were just talking about this the other day. And I said, um, you know, when we're celebrating our 75th wedding anniversary and people say to us, what's the secret? And I'm just going to say, you know, at some point you just get to where you look at everything that you've accomplished in 75 years and you go, ah, we're not splitting this in half. We got too much invested in this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it isn't always the heart, Renee, it's sometimes the head too. Yeah. But he kind of looked at me because he's more, he's more of the, the heart person. He comes to me, goes, it's not about love. (laughs) I I said, well, that too, but I think you also have to say, this is really hard sometimes. And, you know, there's been plenty of times when I was like, oh yeah, I am done with this, you know? And then fortunately he always, you know, kind of makes me calm down a little bit and we always work it out. But it definitely is, I think the secret is building a life together. If you have completely separate lives, Um, I think it'd be easy to say, look, we're not even working as a team here, but in our case, you know, we have six children and our youngest is, um, severely disabled. So he still lives with us. We have 14 grandchildren. I mean, you don't just quit when you've got that going for you. I mean, these fabulous little faces and, um, you know, we've got, a we, we, my husband retired, we moved to Arizona. We both love the weather. I mean, we just have so many great things that just because he thinks differently than I do or reacts differently, which he does, you know, I'm a little bit more explosive and he's more like, nah, whatever, who cares? And so sometimes- It's good to be in your position. Yeah. 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 Yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I do think that is a secret. I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts and when it's the husband that's kind of the more explosive one and the, the wife that is a little bit more peace of a peacemaker, it puts a lot of responsibility on her to kind of keep things calm. But in, in, and I think, I think that is, Ava, I think that's a really good point. Well, but, I think that, but that's, that, that it's a balance that has to be achieved because we're not all the same and one will explode and one will not want any confrontation and we will just do what we have to do because the me the, the the thing that means the most is that you're together and you know you've got all your children and your grandchildren i think you've you've done amazingly well right yeah we're we really are really really fortunate and you know our kids are all different they all take on their own you know and they haven't that hasn't been an easy thing kids are all different they come different and they've all created 
different challenges at different times and then also times of absolute pride and admiration. You know, I, I once heard someone say, the secret is if you're going to take credit for the accomplishments of your children, you also have to take credit for their failures. And I remember hearing that going, oh yeah, so I'm not, don't blame any of this on me. I'm not going to take credit and I'm not taking the blame. So yeah. I don't know how you have time to even speak with us, frankly, with six children and 14 (laughs) grandchildren. I don't know how you have time to do anything besides be with your family. That's a lot. Well, you know, that's the secret though. We moved to Arizona. We still have um, four, five grandchildren in Oregon. And then we have four more that live in Texas. And then a couple of years ago, our daughter moved to Arizona as well. So we do have four that are close by. Uh, so it made it a little bit easier for us to separate our lives because now we're, we all live in different states and we, we have to make time, you know, through Southwest Airlines. So, <laughs> and point. Right, so yes, so for me, um, it's, it, you know, you live in a huge country. So Arizona to Texas, that, that's, a, that's a flight. That's a, a, long, a long way away. Right. About right, the okay. same distance from Portland, actually, to Texas. It's about two and a half hours. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you could so drive, this, but it's a long this, drive. Yeah. Right. 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 But there must have been a lot of juggling going on with six children over the years. And and you were doing your interior design at that point? Well, you know what? Yes. And that, and it definitely was a crazy time. And I have to say that when my children were, were graduating from high school, going to college, moving on, getting married, whatnot, um, there did come a time, obviously, when five of them were gone, but I still had my youngest, you know, obviously. But the school system in the United States, um, through the Americans with Disabilities Act, they are able to stay in the school system until they're 21. So from the age when he was three, I had a bus that picked him up, took him to a preschool. And then when he was five, they picked him up and took him to the elementary school, the junior high and the high school. So through the entire program. And then he was able to stay at the high school for two more years until he was 21. And so that gave me a chance to, I, I, you know, I was like, okay, I have from 7.30 in the morning to 3.30 in the afternoon to finally do something for me. And so that's when I went back to college and got my interior design training. And I remember I opened up a little shop and I remember saying to myself, you have five years to, to get this off the ground, up and going, develop a clientele, you know, get a real business going. And so I put that pressure on myself. But what I found was when you have, like, I don't know if either one of you have children, but I don't know how, yeah, I don't know how working moms do it because the, when the school calls, oh, they're running a fever. Oh, you forgot to put their lunch in the backpack or or you know something like that. Then what do you do? You, you know, my husband had the kind of job where he was off and and not just sitting in, at a desk. And and so I would have to close up shop and go back to school and pick him up and take him home. And so yeah. I, I finally, I, that is probably where I started building up a little resentment. Is like, hey, when is then my turn? I I I deserve to have a life too. You know. And um, honestly, I do believe I'm an optimistic person. So I never really looked at him with his disability and thought you're going to be caring for him for the rest of your life. I never really thought that. 
And, but the older he got, and then when he turned 21 and he aged out of the school system, and he and I were just at home looking at each other going, huh, how are we gonna do this? Um, yeah. You know, that's when it really hit me that, oh no, this is forever. Um, so- Renee, uh, is, it too, is it too personal to ask um, what his disability is? Oh no, not at all. Um, when he was born, I had, I had the five children, natural childbirth, no medicine, had them at a clinic, natural birth clinic. And I just thought I was the queen of popping out babies. And, um, and then I had a miscarriage and then I got pregnant probably too soon after the miscarriage. And so when he was born, he had what they call a diaphragmatic hernia. So he had a hole in his diaphragm and his, some of his intestines had slipped through that hole and they were lying in his um, chest cavity, taking up space where his lungs should be developing. So when he was born, he um, wasn't breathing. And plus I had a little placenta previa. So there was some oxygen thing going on there. And so they did a, they did an x-ray. They saw what was happening and they immediately took him up to Oregon Health Science University, which is a fabulous hospital. They had two doctors that were experts in diaphragmatic hernias and they performed surgery and they said, you know, he only has a 20% chance of survival. And um, when he, about a, he was in the hospital for about a month and then they did an EEG before we brought him home and they said he has brain damage and he has at a very high risk of having cerebral palsy, but we don't know, you'll just have to watch him. And it was pretty obvious to, um, to me that he had a lot of problems, a lot of problems eating, he wasn't uh, growing, you know, he just wasn't getting the nutrition he needed. And finally, when he was about eight months old, I took him to a specialist at another wonderful hospital in Portland. And he looked at him and he said, oh, I can tell you right now he has cerebral palsy, but let me evaluate him and I'll tell you how severe it is. And he did that and then he came back and he said, uh, it's pretty severe. He uh, all, they call it um, spastic uh, quadriplegia. So all four of his limbs are affected. His entire body is affected. His vision is affected. He can't, you know, his ability to speak is affected because everything is a muscle. You know, your eyes are controlled right. by muscles and your tongue is a muscle. And so every muscle in his body is affected. And so we don't really know cognitively where he's at um, because he's very aware of what's going on, but he doesn't really have the ability to use language. He says a few words, very basic, mama, dada, bye-bye, you know, that kind of thing. But- Does he have any other forms of communication with you? Do you have any technology that's that's in use? No, I, because he doesn't have any vision, he was able, never able to use a computer, plus all both of his hands and his arms are affected, so he can't control them as well. Um, so he doesn't have any other way of communicating. And you know how, when you have a baby before they're able to speak, you just have to use their facial expressions or their body language to tell you that I don't think he feels good, or I think mm -hmm. he's upset, or he, I think he might be in pain and you're just going by what you know and yeah. what's normal. And that's pretty much, you know, what we've gone by. But I mean, once I got the diagnosis, the doctor, when it, once he told us, there then once you have a label then the ball starts rolling so it's like physical therapy occupational therapy and once he got in the school system then you had 
speech therapists at the school, physical therapists at the school, and they were there to say, hey, you know what, he's, he's growing, he needs a bigger wheelchair. Um, hey, I think you should add uh, some kind of a neck brace, you know, and so I would be like, this is amazing. Uh, so they were just absolutely wonderful. Uh, the people who go to all of the training that you need to be a physical therapist and then volunteer and then work at a school where they could be making so much right, money, make very little. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. I mean, they saved us. They really saved our lives. It was, and what's funny, um, when he was in the hospital, this wonderful nurse, I mean, I don't, and I have, I apologize, please don't be offended doctors who are out there. I don't have a lot of high regard for doctors in general, but nurses, they are the ones saving the world. <laughs> I mean, we had an amazing nurse that would just say to the doctor, yeah, that's not gonna happen, you know? And then one time I was in a, a meeting about his education plan and one of the physical therapists was there. She says, I think you, I think you might know my wife. And I said, who's your wife? And she said, Debbie. And I was like, no way. Your wife is amazing. And then here's the husband, a physical therapist working in the school. I mean, those are the people that you should. Wow. Be yeah. 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 Fantastic. Yeah. Well, you, you're lucky to have support, but it's a massive challenge. Um, so, you know. Yeah, it really is. And, and the good thing was one good thing and many wonderful things about having a large family, but he was the youngest. And so until my children started um, the audacity of thinking that they had their own lives, um, <laughs> you know, they were built in babysitters or they could be there when the bus got home if I, if I had something I wanted to do. Um, but the reality was when you have a lot of children and then grandchildren came along. And so me being able to be an entrepreneur and have an interior design business, mm, there really, there just wasn't the time. I just, I just couldn't, you know, make that work. It's, yeah. It's balancing is a, um, uh, it's not really um, possible. People think, oh, how do you balance it? Yeah, you don't. No, you don't. One, something has to give, right? Something has to give. Something's neglected while you're doing something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, just take a breath there because it's an extraordinary story, and it's amazing. It's amazing that you know some people are so lucky that they don't have to find that kind of strength. So that's another attribute to Renee because you know that's 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 that takes a lot of strength to be able to cope with that kind of situation well thank you I appreciate that but honestly I do look at my life and I see the privilege that I had my husband had a, a good job with a fabulous medical insurance and um he he was able to provide for the family um my you know all of the surgeries and hospital care that my son had was covered by insurance his wheelchair was covered by insurance and i was there to care for him i didn't have to work and take care of a disabled child um you know there's so many privileges that i had that what i see is um for example on my podcast i had a mother lives in pennsylvania and um they had uh, their first child was uh, oh, just, just, you know, he was just uh, very odd behavior. He was finally diagnosed with bipolar and then um, uh, what was the other diagnosis? Mm, autism, he's on the autism yeah. spectrum. And yeah. then they had a, their second little boy, there was something wrong with him and they, um, they didn't diagnose him, but then finally he was diagnosed 
uh, with microcephaly, but then they, the doctor said, but you know what, this is very rare. It's not genetic. This will never happen again. And then she had a little girl and the little girl has microcephaly as well. And her oh. husband died four months after her little girl was born. I mean, that's the kind of situation where I'm just going, I'm, I'm just going to shut up right now. And yeah. Because. Yeah. I, sometimes there are just too many things that are being thrown at one person at, at any one time. And, and that's, that's when, when life becomes untenable. Yeah. That, that's exactly when you start, when people say, you know, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. You just want to go, then I'm going to walk away because otherwise I might punch you in the face. Because <laughs> just yeah. Just yeah. not true. But that's also how I feel about like I, I appreciate that you're saying that um, you know, you're blessed and that you are lucky that you have, you know, a husband that could afford for you to stay home and take care of your son. But I don't think that it means that your life was so easy just because other people have it worse. There will always be people who have it worse, but it's right. also okay to say it's a lot and for people to be really impressed with what you're doing. And particularly at this age and this time of your life right. that you would have a child at home, basically, that's right. probably similar to having a toddler in terms of the work. And that's a lot. I mean, I'm sure you didn't expect that to happen. Neither did your husband at this age. So, and I think it's okay to say, like, I think that we're so conditioned now to not say that, you know, it's a little hard for me, or this is a little difficult. I think it's okay to say that. I think it's real just because you're privileged in other ways. Um, right. it's, it's really a lot. And a lot of people couldn't do what you're doing. I have to say, like, you make it sound like it's so easy. I, I literally, I'm thinking about all the things you're saying. And then you added podcasts, which I didn't realize you were also doing. We didn't even yeah. get to what you're doing now. Right. Um, right. I, and you just threw out podcasts, like on my podcast. And I'm like, wait, on top of everything you're also doing a podcast? <laughs> well, you know what? You're right. And what's what, what are the wonderful things about accepting challenges is because my children grew up with a brother uh, with severe needs, um, they are able to take what's been given to them. Like my, my oldest daughter has a son that's severely autistic. My other daughter has children that have, you know, anxiety, sensory issues, and they've seen it, they've lived with it. And so when doctors or people at the school say something, they're, they're all able to go, oh yeah, we got it. Yeah, we understand. And yeah, they understand the language. They've heard it and they've lived it. Yeah. And both my daughter and I, like I said, sometimes it's frustrating because people will hear a label like autism or cerebral palsy and they'll say, oh, you know, you would love this guy. You should get on this guy's website. He has cerebral palsy, but he's running marathons and he's he, he lifts weights and you would really like that. And I'm like, I don't like that. I, I don't want to. That's not <laughs> I don't like that. Yeah, it's that's not where my son is, you know. You know, these 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 conditions are spectrums and mm -hmm. every individual is individual. No two people are the same regardless. A huge every single disability has a spectrum. And you know, her son is brilliant, but he's nonverbal and but both of us say the same thing. Like I'll say, you know, one of the great things about having a a child that's non-ambulatory and is dependent on a wheelchair is I know where he's at all the time. I mean, oh. right? No, I, I can definitely relate to that. I have two kids. In oh, me too. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm always worried. They're both in dangerous cities and it scares the life out of me. Yeah, no, mm. I, I really, I can understand that. But also to okay. make the best of it, you know, I like that you're so optimistic and you look at the bright side of a difficult situation because you don't have any alternative. So you exactly. might as well try to be happy. And you're, I mean, I have to say in every way, like I'm saying, I'm learning things about you now. 
you really are an amazing role model for people. And I just thought this conversation was about, wow, this woman's a kick-ass aging woman. She's hot. She's sexy. (laughs) She's smart. She's an entrepreneur. And that's the least of it. We'll continue our conversation in a moment, but first a message from our first sponsor. You're listening to the Old Cow Podcast, digging deep into life after 40. Don't forget to find us on Facebook and Instagram, Old Cow Podcast and Old Cow LLC. Now back to the show with your host, Jill Loris. I saw in your profile, you're also doing other things. When did you stop doing interior decorating when your son was younger? Right. I mean, I did uh, little things where I could. Like, of course, you know, having our own home was just heaven. It's like, okay, we're going to rip this room apart and completely redo it. And fortunately, um, I have the kind of husband that says, I don't care what she does. You know, I like what happens. (laughs) Husbands like that are great. (laughs) I have to tell you guys, working a little bit with a few clients that I did, because my husband is so... I mean, we kind of made a, an unconscious agreement that he'd do the outside and I would do the inside. Um, and I've kind of overstepped my bounds because a couple of things lately, he said, how about we remove those pavers and maybe put in limestone? I'm like, no, 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 we're not doing that. <laughs> and he kind of looks at me like, what happened to I do the outside and you do the inside? And I'm kind of like, you said you just thought you did the outside. I want to know yeah. where garbage falls because it begins in the house, but it has to go outside. Where do you stand on that issue? <laughs> That's why I said it's the courtyard and it's still part of the, it's part of the inside. But I had husbands, I mean, I would have wives that would have me come over to do a consult and then say, oh, we went to the street of dreams, which uh, Ava, it's uh, in America, they, they'll, a builder will build a, a few homes, builders will get together, they'll build these model homes, they'll furnish them, and then they'll have a, a month where people can come and, and go through them. I don't know if they have anything like that in England. Okay, uh, yeah, show houses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, we, they'd go through the, a show home and they'd say, oh, we loved that kitchen. And, and I really wanted to come home and paint our kitchen yellow. But he, when he got home, he said, absolutely not. And, uh-huh. and, I'm, and then I'm waiting for her to say, but I, we're doing it anyway. And she would just stop. And I'd go, and so are we painting the kitchen yellow? And she, <laughs> you know, she would say, no, no. He said, I couldn't. And I'm like, well, he's not here right now. So what would happen if we painted the kitchen yellow and he got home, you know, but there were a lot of husbands. I had one I loved. Um, it was a second marriage and the home was his. The furniture was not only his, but it was a lot of it was his mother's. It was a second marriage and she's standing there with her arms folded. And I just want to get rid of this buffet, you know, and the husband's that's my mother's buffet. And oh. I'm like, okay, can what am I supposed to, I, I do not have a license for marriage counseling. What do you want me to do with the buffet? And, but she had asked me to come over because she thought I was going to solve their marriage problems over this. Oh, and, how extraordinary. Yeah. Wait, so what with the buffet? I just was like, <laughs> you guys let me know when you figure it out. I'll be back. You know? But it was like, mm, I don't know if I'm really cut out for this. Yeah. I kind of, you know, I want to go into a home like the show homes. I want to go in where the builder says, here's $300,000, do whatever you want. That's my yeah. dream, you know. 
yeah. then you go shopping and you don't fix the show home. That, yeah. that sounds amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. how, so did you stop becoming interior designer to become a model? Was there a gap uh, in between? Yeah, I, when we, uh, we moved from um, Oregon to Washington State, uh, when my husband was just getting ready to retire because, you know, there's always always different state benefits. In Washington State, there is no property taxes, but they have sales tax. In Oregon, they don't have sales tax, but they have property taxes. So working in one state and living in another state, um, there were tax advantages. So right before he retired, we moved to Washington State where you wouldn't have to pay a state tax um, and so I tried, I thought, okay, I'm going to get this interior design business back up. And, um, and then, um, uh, 9-11 happened. And as I was painting my little shop that I had rented and, and, uh, and I had just ordered furniture from the furniture market and, and I'm watching the planes go down and then I'm watching the wall street crash and my husband's oh, like bad oh. timing yeah he said um can you get your money back i said no nope so mm -hmm. i opened up my little shop and between the school calling me and telling me to come and get my son and then other people coming in and going well you know we had stock invested in enron but that's all gone now so i love your shop bye and i was like yeah, yeah. This isn't working. So yeah, bad timing. And then a few years later, you know, in 2008, the housing market crashed. And so, you know, my husband was like, you know what, this is what we're going to do from now on. When you say, I'm going to get my business up and going, I'm just going to sit back and watch the world crash because you seem to, you know, want to do something in the middle of, you know, the housing market or whatever. So I just said, bye-bye, I'm not going to do that anymore. And I, I've tried off and on throughout the years, but, um, it, you know, we just had another housing thing and then we had COVID and everything closed up through that. And, oh, I just thought, I don't want to do this anymore. So, yeah. I, you know, I did start, I got hooked up with a, um, as I always have to have a project, that's my, the way my brain works. I have to have a project going on. And I uh, decided that I was going to get healthy. I had high cholesterol and I was gonna start eating a plant-based diet. And I started looking up uh, vegan and I saw this lady in New York had a school that you could go to for a week. You could learn about eating plant-based and you could actually become a vegan coach. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. I'm going to do that. You know? So I went out to New York. I, I didn't know anything about the um, vegan mindset. So I went out to New York and I'm sitting in this apartment with this wonderful woman that's been a vegan, just goddess since, you know, the seventies and people started arriving. Everybody had signed up for this class, people from Australia and Colorado. And, and I'm, I'm looking at them and I'm like, Hmm, I think this leather purse that I'm carrying is might be an issue here. And this, oh. mink, and this mink jacket, I should probably take it off. <laughs> I had a little pin that was like sterling silver with leather on it. And I'm like trying to take the pin off and stick it. Oh. And then they were, they would go through their animal thing. And I was like, I, I just want to know how to cook beans and, and want to eat them afterwards. I, I didn't, you know, and, and they would say things like, um, now, if you're going to go vegan, you have to take a B12 supplement or you will literally lose your mind. 
And so uh, you have to take a supplement or because people get their B12 from the earth, the cows eat their dirt from the grass and then that gets into the meat and then you eat a piece of meat and you get the B12 from the meat, from the cow that ate the grass and the dirt. And uh, since we're not eating meat, we're or wearing uh, leather, we're gonna have to take a B12. <laughs> like I, I raised my hand, I'm like, well, could we maybe just have meat once a week or something? And they're like, <gasps> oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, okay, I gotta get out of here alive, you know? And then, and I was torn because I, I thought, well, they took us to a vegan shoe store in New York and I'm going, but this is plastic and that's yeah. like- this is a cult, Renee. I hope no, you and ran. And I'm like, you're destroying our environment with this plastic. What, could we just buy one good pair of leather shoes and wear them a lot? I mean, so anyway, I found a program that was teaching people how to go vegan. Um, wonderful doctor that had started this program. And so I started having classes, helping people go vegan. Uh, we, I just forgot about the vegan thing and just said, this is plant. We're talking about a plant-based diet. I don't care what you wear. Um, but, you know, even if you do a plant-based diet, you're helping the environment, you're helping the animal kingdom. So there are advantages. Um, but she had to close up her, it was called Get Wasted, which is, I thought was cute. Um, it was uh, called Get Wasted. So I was a, a Get Wasted coach and I had some wonderful people that, you know, they lowered their AC levels and, and got off their type two diabetes medication and every, every, you know, it was just wonderful. But then Dr. Mary um, just had to close it down. And so then I just, we moved to Arizona and then I just started kind of just enjoying decorating my house and doing that kind of stuff. And I got in with a modeling agency right before COVID hit. I was with an agency in Portland um, but Portland um, has a very specific market. You know, there's, uh, there isn't a lot of industry there. Uh, they were starting to make movies there. I actually worked as a, a stand-in for a lot of the, like they filmed um, Terror in the Tower and I did a scene with George Clooney. And whoa, that's I, fun. I was like- Whoa, 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 back up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You actually did a scene with George Clooney. Well, and when I say that, I mean, I stood behind him and, <gasps> and well? he, he and his partner, you know, spoke words, but I was that close to him. And, you, you know, I remember at one point, uh, I always use that whenever you play two truths and a lie, whenever you play that <laughs> game, I always, I always say, I was in a movie with George Clooney and they go, that was the lie. And I'm like, no, that was the truth. I have to say, Renee, the Lord giveth, and he just kept on giving, didn't he? <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I have a funny story. So I was in a movie with, um, oh golly, what was it called? I can't remember, but Faye Dunaway played the main character and um, everybody had strict instructions. Don't look at her, don't make eye contact, don't speak, but I'm standing right next to her, waiting for her to go on for her scene. And it was Mother's Day, you know? So I finally just went, happy Mother's Day. And she's like, thank you. I was like, Hope I don't get fired for that. Oh, really? but, yeah, but that, that was fun. But I'm telling you guys, the stand in life, you know, you bring your own clothes, you're on a set for eight hours. Um, you know, you get paid $75. I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to go home with my kids, you know, but it was oh, fun. 
yeah, but good, you know, good experience yeah. yeah it was a fun experience but yeah so um so i i moved uh, we moved to arizona i signed up with a modeling agency here and um i have to tell you jill i i I think I have bad timing. I like, you know, open up your shop at 9-11 and then try to open it again when the Wall Street, you know, crashes. And then I signed up for this modeling uh, thing. And then, you know, the world kind of also crashed and Black Lives Matter happened. And now, you know, if you notice, they're really, really aware of advertising and the media and the marketing. And so they're really using people of color a lot in the industry, which is, they should have been doing for a hundred years, you know? Right, um, I agree. Yeah. So I have these beautiful, I, oh, I mean, I have these, I have a, a friend that lives in LA. She is gorgeous and long silver hair. And she's kind of in her fifties, but you don't really know how old she is. And she's Hispanic, but you really don't know if she's Hispanic. So she has this look that can fit and she is just acting and modeling her heart out, you know? And, and I, I'm like, do you want a, an old white person for anything? <laughs> like, no. no, but I know what you mean. Actually, my daughter is a drama student. And um, when she did her headshots, the photographer said, you could pass for Puerto Rican. And, and when I looked at her, I said, you know, I could see that. And she said, yeah. you should put that down. I said, she's not Puerto Rican. And she said, but you, I mean, I, I'm not big on lying, but she yeah. said, no, but that will be good for her for getting jobs. So I know exactly what you mean. Like yeah. um, that, that they're looking now. I mean, I appreciate that they're doing that, but I can see that someone sort of in the middle, it's, it's hard because yeah. um, I mean, you, you have nothing to do with what's been going on in this country for the last couple of hundred years, but right. you know, we're trying right. to play catch up. No, no, I can definitely say that. I'm sure that's the kiss of death for someone white with blonde hair. They're probably yeah. really screwed actually. But um, we're done with the socialite look. Okay, move right. on. Like get rid of the pearls, and we're we're done with that look. <laughs> yeah. But I do have to say, so that's actually now you're bringing it up to where I know you from. So I yeah. saw you on Instagram when this phenomenon just blew up of people embracing their silver hair, which I think is so amazing. Mm -hmm. And you are someone I don't know when you did that exactly, but you're someone who's done that and looks absolutely stunning. And, and I see you're becoming quite the influencer on Instagram. I don't know if you meant for that to happen, but congratulations, yeah. by the way, I see you just yeah. passed a hundred thousand followers. That is huge. Yeah, yeah. I, I really did. I really made my mind up when, you know, after we got settled down here and I thought, all right, what can I do? I have a fabulous caregiver that I found. Uh, he is amazing, absolutely amazing. And so he comes and picks up my son for however many hours we need him. And I thought, you know what? I know how the industry works. I know that nowadays it's, I think it's really sad, but you go in for an audition. Let's say you want to you know, go to a casting call. Uh, one of the things they'll ask you is how many followers do you have? And mm -hmm. it's like, it's so sad because you have these young kids that are so talented and, but they don't have a million followers on TikTok or Instagram or whatever. And people are looking at that. And I was like, well, that's wrong, but I'll play the game. So mm -hmm. I decided, all right, we're just going to go for this. And I, I got caught up in that. I don't know if you guys were aware of this, but probably 2017 was that pixie craze where all the girls, everybody was cutting their hair in this really cute pixie. And um, so I had, we had just had a party and I was putting trash away and I accidentally cut my hand in some glass that was in our trash can. And so I had to have some stitches in my hand and I thought, what a good time to cut your hair really short. So I, 
Not oh, I, I'd like to see that. I don't know if that's on your Instagram. I haven't seen those pictures. An oh. audience will let Renee give that to us so we can put it in our group so we can all see okay. it. Okay. Yeah. And so I cut it short. And then I don't know if you guys remember this as well, but then like in 2018, the granny hair thing started where 19 year olds were dying their hair gray. And I had just said to my hairdresser, um, boy, I am really getting tired of the, uh, I don't know what they call it in England, but Jill, you know, it's called a duo. So you go in, you have your roots touched up, then they put in the highlights. So you're there for like three hours. Yeah. And, and I, I thought, oh, I'm really getting so tired of this. And I think I might just let my hair go gray. And my hairdresser said, absolutely not. And I was like, oh yeah. So now I'm really doing it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's what my husband has to live with <laughs> oh, so, how old so was your hairdresser was she a young woman or was she your age oh she was she is this young girl that is just so I already had short hair and I called her up and I said Paige I'm going I'm going silver and she's like great so I was very very blonde um, so it wasn't, you know, these poor women that are very brown and they just, that it, it's just an eight hour process to try to bleach your hair out. And, mm -hmm. uh, but I was already very, very blonde. So she just toned it to totally took out all the color, put a toner on it and said, bye-bye. Um, and I loved it on day one, but when you washed the toner out, then you got the yellow. And so then I had to deal with toners uh, temporary color to keep it silver and not yellow. Um, but that only took a, a, just, I really had to just let my hair grow for that to kind of everything to grow out so that it, you know, it's now just purple shampoo. I just love well, everything takes maintenance. This is the exhaustive thing. You know, as, as the older we get, we realize we need more maintenance. You won't mind me saying, Renee, and I'm sure, but you are an extremely attractive woman. Um, and we in the UK have very little sun. And I'm guessing you're not vitamin D deficient. So um, to look the way you do, do you have do you have a strict beauty regime? You know, you guys are, I'm just, I'm not, might not be able to get out the door to finish my sunbathing today because my head's Well, you know, <laughs> it's deserved. But you know what? Here's the thing. And I really wish people would be more honest. My mother and my aunt and my grandmother, people were always saying to them, you have the most beautiful skin. I it really, it's, it truly is genetics. A lot of it is genetics. A lot of it is genetics, but you yeah. also take care of yourself. There's no way around. Well, I do. Yeah. And you know, I don't drink, I don't smoke. Um, I did not use a lot of caffeine until I left the Mormon church where that was a no, no. Um, once I left the Mormon church, then um, I do like my caffeine. Um, which I know is also not good for you. Caffeine is a no-no in the Mormon church? Well, coffee is a no-no. Um, it's kind of one of those hee-hee things where in the Mormon church, they have what they call a word of wisdom. And so coffee and tea and alcohol and tobacco are forbidden. And um, so if you want to be a member in good standing, you will follow that word of wisdom. So um, I, you know, I've never smoked or drank or and we didn't have coffee in the home and we also didn't drink a lot of uh soda but that was more because I was more um healthy I, I preferred to eat healthy and my kids ate healthy and and uh, we don't have a lot of junk food around the house and stuff like that 
but I did find a coffee that is, um, it's made with uh, the sweetener is monk fruit and coconut milk. And so I justified that it was a healthy caffeine. And so I did start drinking that. And it's like, oh, I love what this is letting me do. It's like, get up. We're going to go do some things today. <laughs> and I was like, and did you, but did you really see the difference? Did you feel it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, to me, it's no different than having a Diet Coke. But and that's kind of the irony of the whole thing is Mormons drink probably more Coke, Mountain Dew, uh, caffeinated beverages than any other culture. Oh, right. <laughs> but they're like, I don't drink coffee. I'm like, yeah, but the 32 ounce Coke. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it's, I that's had kind no of idea that they had those rules, but sex is okay. Uh, after you're married, sex is okay. I, yeah. yeah I, I figured. Yeah. But not before marriage. So yeah. yeah. So that, and that, that that's uh, Jill. Those, that's one of the other millions of podcasts that I listen to, or people that have left the Mormon Church, and and there's a lot of trauma because the, you do have. I mean, my husband and I were 20 when we got married, and you don't have sex before you're married, but then suddenly somebody signed on the dotted line says, "Oh, you're married now. Go," and you know you're kind of looking at each other like, "Can we do this? How, uh, is it okay to do this? How do we do this?" You know, and so for us, you know, it seemed. Um, we figured it out quite quickly, but other people, it's a traumatic thing. They like, I went from feeling like it was shameful to have sex or a sin to have sex to being, I'm supposed to be some kind of a performer. How does that work? I feel guilty. I feel like an I'm an acrobat. Well, yeah, you, know what? Yeah. you just led right into the next question. So at the <laughs> end of podcast, we, we started asking everyone four questions oh. and the first question, which is literally what you're talking about, I think is what is something your parents never talked to you about that you wish they had? And I'm guessing one of the things is sex. Oh, is that zero, accurate? Yeah, zero conversation, zero. And the funny thing is, um, because my parents were not raised in the Mormon church, uh, I was 12. They were probably in their 40s when they joined the church. Um, you know, they, my mom was not, you know, she was not reading scriptures when she was young. Um, and so her and my stepdad, I'm sure they had a wild life before they decided to become, you know, religious, but, um, and so they would make little comments to each other. Like I remember being like eight years old, sitting in the family room and my mom and dad are unloading groceries and she holds up this cucumber and goes, beat that. And <laughs> she said, looking at my dad and they both kind of chuckle, you know? And I remember even at eight years old, I didn't have a clue what they were talking about. And yet I kind of did, you know? Yeah. So there were, there were, I remember we, we parked at a, a store in front of a, a store when I was probably about maybe, oh golly, maybe 11. And I said, oh, mom, look at that gorgeous wedding dress. And my mom said, well, I hope you'll be able to wear white on your wedding day. <gasps> Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? You know? So then I came out and I was like, Hey, what do you mean? Of course I'm going to wear white. Why wouldn't I wear white? So then she sits me down and gives me the talk of, you know, you can't wear white if you have sex before marriage. And so she explained to me how it worked. And I was, I just, I was traumatized. Like I remember walking to school, looking at every car that went by going, you do that. Yeah. <laughs> what? No. Yeah, this is what we say, you know, that's just not something you do to a friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. 
but they were very affectionate. They were very physical. They held hands, they kissed. So I wasn't, you know, I grew up in a home where love was physically uh, done. And oh, that's so, nice. that's yeah, so I had no inhibitions, probably. Uh, yeah. My husband did not have that. He has a lot of inhibitions. And so, like I said, when I started posting things, he's kind of like, Ooh, yeah. Did you want to put that on Instagram? I said, I, <laughs> I really did. He was like, I'm going to do know some the expression, Um, I don't know, Ava, if you know this expression, new money is people that like the people, the old money, the, like we say, yeah. I don't know if you say wasp in England, but like white Anglo-Saxon Protestant money, that's like picture Greenwich, Connecticut kind of people. And yeah. they look down on people that would actually have been like my dad. He was blue collar and he made money, but that that money isn't good enough to them. And this reminds yeah. me of that. It's um. so your husband comes from like old Mormon, you're new Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. He comes from pioneer stock, right? I mean, his he's, he can trace it right back to some of the original, you know, members of the church that helped Joseph Smith. And, and, you know, my family was Methodist. And, you know, I grew up with sleeveless dresses. And, you know, it wasn't until I was, you know, 12 and 13, where there's like, you can't wear a sleeveless dress. I'm like, I can't even uh, yeah. showing your yeah. arms. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wait, so here's the next question. This is also um, relevant to what you're saying. So is there something about your parents that you think you inherited by osmosis. So something that maybe you didn't like that you are like one of your parents or both of your parents. Well, you know what? Yes, exactly. Phrased exactly. There's something that I don't like that I do and I'm aware of it and image and, and what you look like was very important to my mother. And it was more important than anything else. It was, it was very much, um, what is the image that you're portraying? And if you go outside of the home, you should look your best. And so, um, and she watched her weight. You know, she was one of these tiny little people. I mean, her wedding dress, I couldn't even get on my left leg if I wanted to. Just tiny little waist. And, and um, I'm definitely built like my dad's side of the family. So she watched her weight. She always wore her makeup. I remember one time I picked her up and I said, she said, um, hey, um, if you want to go home and put some makeup on, I can wait in the car. And cause I had just worked out and, and, you know, I said, I'm good, mom. I'm good. You know, we're just going to go, you know, go to target and whatever. Like, oh, I could I'm just, I could never go out without my makeup on, you know? So I was kind of, that was kind of the, you know, osmosis that you always try to look your best. And, um, and, and I always wanted my children to look their best. And so uh, fortunately my kids, they kind of get it, but they're also not as extreme as I am. You know, they're like my daughter, neither one of them are, are doing lash extensions or, you know, acrylic nails or <laughs> any of those things that I do. They're like, we love it, mom, but yeah, we're not doing that. Um, but they also know how to dress and they also know how to dress for an occasion, you know, for different occasions. Cause you know, to me, you don't wear t-shirts and, and jeans to a funeral You wear a suit and a dress, you know? Um, so I, I wish I wasn't as, um, vain as that, but I definitely know that was taught to me, but I, I that's not the worst thing. It was also world. a different time. I have to say, what about something about yourself that you got from them that you really like? Um, I, I really like, I really did get my stubbornness from my mom. And one of the things that, um, I don't like is when my mom gets something, a conviction of some kind, she is going to pound it down you as much, you know, and I do have that a little bit, but I also remember her 
they were going to have a party. And my mom was, you know, you clean every cabinet and drawer. And I remember one time my, my grandmother from England was coming over to see her new grandchild that was going to carry on the Cathcart name. And, and so, you know, granny's coming. We had to clean every corner. And I remember saying, mom, why do we have to clean out the, you know, laundry room and all this? She goes, because when people sit on the toilet or they go to the bathroom, they will open up your medicine cabinet. They will open it <laughs> and they will look. And I'm and now mommy, never I'm to like, have your mother over. Yeah, and I'm like, you know what? It's You're true. right. It's true. I go into somebody's cabinet and I'm kind of looking in the medicine cabinet. Okay, remind like, me not to have you over either. I don't do that. <laughs> but you know what the difference is? And that's also the danger. And I remember they were having, they were going to have a party at their house. And um, she took down the globe that went over the light bulb in the landing of the staircase. And she hand painted the word pub on there in this beautiful calligraphy. And so decorating the home and doing little extras to have a, but she loves to have parties, you know? And I, I did, I picked that up from her. And unfortunately she also loved to cook and she collected cookbooks and I, I didn't pick that up. I don't love to do that, <laughs> you know? But, um, but, and my dad, my, my biological dad, I really think I have more of his traits. He was a salesman. He was the guy that could sell you that beat up Buick and, you know, he was always salesman of the year. And uh, he had a car that a new car because he worked at a dealership. And so we always had the car and he also um, cared a lot about what he looked like. And it's funny because like I said, I'm really built. Like, I look like my dad. And when I was a baby, my mom looked at me and she thought, she said, I saw right away, you've got your dad's bow legs. And she, <laughs> that's really she tried, sweet. Yeah. She, well, it was important to her. So she she tried to kind of like squeeze my legs, you know, that maybe they would straighten up, you know. And it's like, no, I I have my dad's bowed legs. And I remember as a like a 16 or a 17 year old, this really cute guy was walking behind me, and he's like, Well, I hope oh, Dolly, what was the comment? It was something like at least something, but he was making a comment about my bow legs. And <laughs> Yeah. Yep. And my brother, oh. both my brothers have my mom's body, beautiful, just perfectly shaped legs, calves, the knees, the thighs, you know, and I'm like, and I had to get that one, the Barclays. I got the Barclay legs. What's that all about? You know, well, I feel like it's well, fair because you are pretty fine looking everywhere else. I mean, I haven't seen your legs. Yeah. I feel like it's fair. You need to spread the wealth, Renee. There you go. And I don't know how to sing. So, I mean, when these people get on stage and they're like, wait, you can sing and dance and your body and a, come on, God. I mean, <laughs> really, it's sure. a little too much. It's not fair. But um, exactly. so let me ask you, the last question is, okay. what was your favorite game growing up and do you still have it? Hmm, I love, I don't play board games. I'm not a board game person because I have a little attention deficit hyperactivity. So um any game that involves charades or Pictionary where you're active and you're standing up and you're, you know, everybody's yelling and screaming, no, 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 you know, those are the games that I love. And unfortunately, yeah. 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 my kids are like, let's play Monopoly. And I'm like, kill me now. No, <laughs> everyone <laughs> says that. <laughs> and they could, they could play, you know, card games. My parents played card games. My aunt, my grandma played Canasta. I just can't sit that long. I have to be moving at all times and in all places. So but that, that sounds good. Example. 
Yeah. Well, thank but- you so much. My goodness. You have so many interesting things to talk about. You'll need to come back actually, because I have a lot more to ask you, but I feel like we've already taken so much of your time. So we will end now, but, um, thank you so, so much for, for coming on and talking to us. It was really great getting to know you and we will post the pictures. Will you send us the pictures to post in the group? Sure. Absolutely. And Jill back to you as well. I mean, you're the little cartoons and the things that you find and post and support, you support the Silver Sisters all the time. I mean, you're just, I love what you're doing, empowering women right there. Well, actually you're an amazing role model for that, which is why I really wanted you to come on here. And I think that um, you are leading the way to showing people that this is what aging is about. And, and I have a little tagline that I always say that old is not a fact, which I think you kind of feel the same way. It's a state yeah. of mind. You know, you don't have to look like our grandmothers did back in the day if you don't want to. And and I know you work hard, like you're making jokes about it, but Ava and I both know that you work your ass off to have your body look the way it does. And you, you're really on top of everything and people have to make a choice. You know, if you want to look good, it takes work. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'd like to just sit and eat donuts and be a size two, but it's not happening. Yeah. So (laughs) you have to be part of it. And I'm not quite there. I have to confess. I haven't gone completely silver. I've tried a little bit and I just don't think I have the nice silver, but I really admire the courage that you women have that you're doing it. I'm getting closer, but um, I think it's great to embrace. And to me, it's part of the whole thing about feeling good about aging that we've been told that it isn't attractive to look older. And I don't agree with that at all. Right. So I, I'm trying to spread the word on many subjects. I mean, a lot of people are getting pushed out of jobs. This is an endless conversation about what happens as you age, but um, yeah. I think it's amazing. You're in happy marriage. You look amazing. I'm assuming your husband also looks amazing. You have a yeah. great life, a full active life as if you're a 40, which you should. Well, and I think I am. That's the problem. I, you know, people will say, oh, you should really dress your age. And I'm like, well, that's good. Cause I am 33. So this yes, good for you. <laughs> Yes, good for you. I admire your stamina, your confidence, and your attitude. And it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes. And give us five stars and a positive review if you like what you heard and think others should check us out so that we can reach more people over 40 like us. Join us in redefining aging. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Old Cal LLC and the Old Cal Podcast on Instagram. You can listen to future episodes on Shopify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Check back weekly for new episodes. Have a great week, everyone. And remember, old is not a fact. It is a state of mind.